Hello and welcome to this week's episode. I'm Hugh McCarran. I'm Ben Maloney. I'm Faye Lenner. And I'm Robert Wagoner. So come take a seat with us on the Mockery Cushion as we drift into a lucid slumber and enter the realm of the inner self. President of the International Association for the Study of Dreams and a summa cum laude graduate of Drake University with a degree in psychology. He is the author of two books, Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self and Lucid Dreaming, Plain and Simple, as well as the co-founder and editor of the online journal The Lucid Dreaming Experience. And he is here today to speak to us about his work. Uh, thank you. Thank you for joining us, Robert. Um, we really appreciate it. It's great um, to be here. Thank you. So I was wondering if to start with, um, you could just lay out maybe how you got interested in lucid dreaming um, and how your perspective on it has changed maybe over the years. And then you can right. take it anywhere you'd like to go. Yeah. So um, so I started out uh, as a young person uh, with a really interesting dream life. I just had incredible dreams and uh, paid attention to them and, and all. I, I remember I had my first lucid dream when I was 10 or 11 years old. So in this experience, I, I found myself in the public library looking at books. And all of a sudden, walking through the book stacks was a little Tyrannosaurus Rex. And here I am, 10 or 11 years old, and I think, wait a second. How can, how can there be a dinosaur? They're extinct. And then I realized, oh, this is a dream. I'm dreaming this. And then I thought, well, if this is a dream, then I can tell myself to wake up and I'll wake up. And so I told myself to wake up and I immediately woke up. So that was my first introduction to lucid dreaming. I was 10 or 11 years old. But, but at that time, uh, word lucid dreaming just wasn't even used at all. But then it, then it was, uh, fast forward about six or seven years. Um, now I'm in high school, and I was reading a book by Carlos Castaneda, who was a UCLA graduate student in anthropology. And so as a graduate student, he decided to study psychoactive plants like peyote and mescaline and all. And he decided to go to uh, Arizona and try to find someone who would teach him, uh, a native teacher. And so he meets this shaman, uh, Don Juan, and Don Juan starts teaching him about an alternate view of basically reality. And in this book, Journey to Ixland, Don Juan tells Carlos to find his hands in the dream state and realize he's dreaming. And, and I'm reading this and I'm thinking, how can you realize within a dream you're dreaming? How, how could that happen? And there wasn't really a uh, technique. And so I just created my own technique. Uh, I knew about the power of suggestion. So each night before I'd go to sleep, I'd just look at the palms of my hands while telling myself, tonight in my dreams, I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. 
night in my dreams, I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. I just say that over and over quietly in my head and then fall asleep. On the third night of doing this, I'm walking through my high school hallway and my hands popped right in front of my face. And, and I thought, holy crap, this, these are my hands. This is a dream. And it was so wild to see that these football player guys over here, they're dream figures. And this wall over here that just felt so cool and nubby, just exactly like it should in the real world, it, it's dream stuff. And, and I went on to have an amazing uh, lucid dream. And, and so kind of after that, uh, I was totally hooked. Wow. And so it is a good definition of a lucid dream, um, just for anyone who may be new to it. Um, unlike a normal dream where you just go through the dream and you won't question anything, you know, like a pig flies through the sky and you just think that's normal. Um, in a lucid dream, you will see a pig flying through the sky and think, oh, that's not that's not possible. So I must be dreaming. And then right, right. And, so, the, and so then therefore you have a is it fair to say you have a certain level of control over the dream? Right. So so to the definition part, uh, most of us lucid dreamers would say a lucid dream is any dream in which you realize within the dream that you're dreaming. And even then, though, there can be levels of lucid awareness. Like, for example, let's say uh, tonight you uh, found yourself and you see Uncle Harry and you think, wait a second, Uncle Harry died 10 years ago. How can, how can this be? Oh, I must be dreaming. But Uncle Harry wants some coffee with his apple pie. And so you go get him some coffee. I, I mean, that's a really low level of lucid awareness. You, you got for a moment that, that something strange was going on here. But in a fully lucid dream, you realize this is a dream state. I'm not under the, um, uh, the whims and powers of physical laws. I'm in the dream state. So I have dream laws that I can work with and um, the dream nature that I can explore. And, and you really realize all your potential to explore and do things. So to the second part of your point, most people say, oh, that means you can control the dream. And, and I really want people to realize that you can think of it that way if you want to at the beginning, but you're going to learn as you go deeper into lucid dreaming that it's much more accurate to say that you can influence and manipulate things. But really what you're doing is you're aware within the dream and able to relate to, new, relate to things in a new way. And so the reason I say that is like, let's say I become lucid and I fly through a wall, and on the other side of the wall is a castle and a white horse. Who created that? I just flew through the wall. So, so obviously there's, I did not control that into being, so, so there's obviously a kind of automatic subconscious or unconscious creativity going along with your own creativity. Yeah. And so if I go up to a dream figure and say, uh, hey, do you know I'm dreaming you? And the dream figures say in reply, how do you know I'm not dreaming you? And I'll say, well, look, I can fly. And the dream figure says, well, look, I can fly too. I mean, people actually have these experiences. And those are the times when you sit back and you wonder at the end of it, who is creating this lucid dream? If both, both of us can do the same exact thing mm. and both of us have the same uh, uh, steaming level of awareness and consciousness and intelligence. So anyway, it, I don't like the word control influence, manipulate, more aware, relating. I'm all good with that. 
So I, like, I like kind of content. like in the in the I was going to say in the real world you can influence your own actions, but you're not consciously the the world in which you exist isn't uh, consciously controlled. But right, it's yeah, so it kind of yeah. feels like that. Yeah, mm. just because you're driving down the M5 doesn't mean you're controlling the M5. Yeah, yeah. you're controlling the car with your... You're influencing yourself and your direction and and all that. You can claim that much. But to say that you control the dream, that's just far far too big a step. I I like... um, Because I read your book, Robert, um, Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self, a few years ago, and I've I've just started listening to the the audio book again. Um, I really like your analogy of the sailor and the sea. Do you, you just want to explain that analogy? Because it's quite, it's quite good. Yeah. Um, so, so in the book, I, I say that uh, um, the sailor does not control the sea, neither does the lucid dreamer control the dream. Uh, like a sailor, they have to deal with the wind, the waves, the current, their abilities, the ship's abilities. They have to deal with all these multiple influences to get where they want to go. And even then, there's not a guarantee they'll get where they want to go. But mm-hmm. 99% of the time, they will. And just like, that's how it is with the lucid dreamer. You, you, there's a lot of forces and, and other activity going on. And so you don't control the lucid dream, but you definitely influence and direct yourself within it. Um, uh, Faye, I was just going to say, you, you have a question about the sort of the paradox of dreaming. Yeah, so I was going to ask, so many people may struggle to grasp the concept of lucid dreaming because you are to an extent then conscious in the dream. So what are your thoughts on this paradox of being conscious yet asleep? Right. So, so it, it's truly, lucid dreaming is one thing that will make you question the nature of reality. In a lucid dream, if I can eat a banana and it tastes just as good and as incredible as a banana in the waking life, how do I know three hours later when I'm waking up and having a banana that I'm still not in a dream? And, and so when you realize that the mind can be utterly entranced in a state and accept it as real and then become aware, it, it's like a Zen moment. You, you, a Zen moment is kind of when you have a sudden realization and now everything makes sense. And so, so that's why this, this paradox of consciousness is really a fundamental issue. Um, this also connects to Buddhist dream yoga. Uh, so in, in some Buddhist traditions, um, they have what they call dream yoga, which is using lucid dreaming and Buddhist philosophy to obtain enlightenment. Uh, Naropa, the 11th century uh, Buddhist Indian yogi, he, he said that dream yoga was one of the six paths to enlightenment. But when, when they have these students, uh, these young monks go, go to the dream monastery and they, they're obligated to be there for three years, the first thing the monks talk to them and the first question or the issue they get to is they look at them and they say, all this a dream. And, and they look around, all this a dream. And, and what they're trying to say, from my viewpoint, is all of this is a mental creation. And what's happening in a dream? A dream isn't illusory. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a creation of the mind. When you become a good lucid dreamer and see how your mind is creating what you then experience, 
in many ways, it reflects back to you things that are, are within you. And in our waking experience, the same thing happens. In my second book, I have a technique that anybody can use to show how you exist right now, even though you exist in this physical concrete world of, of, of all of that, you can show though that you're actively pre participating in the creation of it. And, and whatever you want, I'll be happy to give you that technique, but it, it's, it'll blow your mind. Uh, when I practiced this technique, it made me cry to realize how simple it was to, that anyone could show themselves, even without being a lucid dreamer, that we exist right now in a thing that we're actively co-creating along with our larger awareness. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's, it's like how our, when we look at objects in the real world, our brain normally sees function or associates function before it actually observes the physicality of the object. So like if you see a beanbag, your brain thinks chair in, in the sense that that's the function of it, even though it doesn't look the same. Right. We right. associate and, the purpose and so on. And, and, and so that brings up the point and to a face point. Do, do we see things as they are or do we see things as we are and we're projecting our own thoughts and attributes and mm. value judgments and all that upon it? And, and I, I think when you get into lucid dreaming, you, it brings up all of these issues and it mm. really makes you wonder about the construct of the nature of reality. Because in waking life, we just accept it. And we live in this objective universe and everyone can, oh yes, an apple you know, weighs this much and, and that's a mile long and we can show it on this little device. But when you get into a lucid dream and really go deeper and deeper, it'll make you question the nature of reality mm -hmm. at a very deep level. What, what was that technique? Are you happy to talk about that yeah. technique? So, um, so, so this is in my second book, uh, Lucid Dreaming, Plain and Simple that I uh, wrote with uh, Carolyn McCready, who, who lives there uh, in the UK. And uh, so in the final chapter of the book, I developed a technique that anyone can use. And so here's, here's what you gotta do. First, you find within yourself a neutral characteristic, something that you're not good at or bad at. It's just so neutral, you don't even think about it. So, so uh, Ben might say, well, I'm not really funny, but I'm not unfunny. I'm neutral. When it's it comes true. to being comedic, <laughs> I am just in the neutral zone. And, and, you know, and, and in fact, it's so neutral, you don't even think about it. You know? So you find a characteristic that's neutral. And then here's what you do. Don't tell any of your friends you're doing this experiment. Don't, don't tell anybody. But 10 times a day, for one minute, so one minute, 10 times a day. Focus on supersizing a belief that you're the most hilarious person in your, your country. Imagine that you are the funniest person in all of Britain or, or wherever, that you are the absolute funniest, that people die when they see you, that you're just hilarious, that you're a killer. You're, you're amazing. You are so funny. And just for a minute, just imagine and tell yourself you're the funniest, funniest, funniest. Imagine people cracking up the whole thing. Then after a minute, let it go. And the reason I ask people to do it just for a minute, that's about as long as most people can focus on something. They can focus for a minute, but then after three minutes, they'll, their mind will be wandering. So for a minute, just focus on it. Then an hour or two later, 
remember, oh yeah, I got to spend a minute focusing on how I'm on the most hilarious person. Anyway, do this each day until you start to see the world reflect back to you your new energized belief. So you've taken a neutral belief and you've energized it. You've made it really powerful. You'll be at the supermarket or the store. You'll say something to the clerk and everybody will burst into laughter. And you'll think to yourself, that wasn't even funny. And people are just, just dying with laughter. You'll be somewhere else and everyone will just burst into laughter. And you'll get on the bus, people will start to laugh. You'll begin to see that you're reflecting the energy that you have of your beliefs are being reflected out there and are being sent out there, projected out there, just like a dream, and then being reflected back to you. So, so here's an example. Um, I, I brought this up in one of my online courses. Uh, and, and this woman um, lives, lives in Bermuda. She's in her mid-50s. She decided that she was going to tell herself 10 times a day that she was the most attractive woman in Bermuda. And she, she said she was so neutral about that that she didn't even wear makeup anymore. And she just, you know, she just walked around in T-shirts and, and, and shorts. She said on the fourth or fifth day of doing this, a guy in his 30s asked her for her phone number. She said she was so stunned. She said she, said she, she had on a ratty T-shirt and she looked like heck and hadn't done her up her hair or anything. And this guy was, and she realized that she, by energizing a neutral belief, it, it was being projected out there. She, she said it was really a shocking, shocking moment. But, but that's what you have to do. You have to take a neutral belief. So, so if, you had, if you have a strong belief about beauty that, oh, you know, I'm an ugly duckling or something, you can't use it. That's not a neutral belief. You got to find something that's neutral because then when you try to energize it, there's no resistance. Most of us, you know, would feel resistance if we don't believe it, then we're, as we try to change that belief, we're resisting it because a belief is, you know, is something that we habitually think about and accept. So, so that, that, that's how it works and uh, everyone's welcome to try it, but you have to do it consistently every day because you're building energy onto to that belief. That's amazing. Um, I, on a similar no, actually, I have a, a little story um, which I don't think I've told you guys before. Um, mm. It's just on the on the sort of how the waking reality can sometimes reflect a, a dreamlike quality um, in the way that you direct your energy. So um, we had a guest on um, a guy called Atom Bergstrom, and he um, he's a really fascinating guy, and he was talking about. Um, in a in a different interview, he's talking about um, directing your energy and your beliefs um, into something so that it then reflects in in your daily life, as we were just saying. Um, and I was thinking about this, and um, I think it was last December or November, and I was in a coffee shop, and I was about to go and pay for my my drink, and um, and I was saying to myself. People love to give me things for free. Everybody, everybody loves to give me things. People, people just throw money at me. People love to just hand me things on um, for no charge at all. And I was, I was, I was thinking what that would feel like as I was going to the, the the counter. And then I get there, and 
I'm about to pay, and then the woman looks at me and smiles and says, this one's on the house. And then <laughs> and that just, it, just, it just blew my mind. I was just, <laughs> wow. I just, I couldn't believe it. I was so, you know, I mean, obviously people can put that, people can interpret that how they like, but it, it really, it really put a smile on my face, I have to say. Yeah, the, I, I want to I say that this is the, actually the nature of reality. Uh, but, but if you can do it with a neutral belief, and energize it, you'll see it become reflected back to you. And then you'll realize, oh my gosh, this is how I am helping to structure the reality that I then experience. And, and just like Hugh's uh, free ride, te- I'm going to call it the free ride technique, you know. <laughs> Don't have to pay for anything anymore. We're just going to uh, get on Hugh's uh, free ride technique. The, 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 the people just love to give him stuff and uh, it's, it's, the, the world's on everyone else, but not Hugh. He's, he's getting a free ride. Uh, uh, I, if, if you begin to make this part of your mindset, then you see it reflected back to you. And, and that's mm. why there's all these books, you know, about uh, oh, um, a course in, there's a, the Course in Miracles ones, and then there's some others that are, you know, about attracting abundance and all this kind of stuff. But the problem is most people already have all these issues about it, you know, but when, when you take your approach, you, and just kind of play with the idea, mm-hmm. then sometimes you see it reflected back to you, and it's like, oh, my God, yeah. did that really just happen? Yeah, it is amazing. It's a slightly yeah. abstract question, but do you think those kind of experiences, and um, lucid dreaming as well, is easier or at least more common in people who have more vivid imagination or more sort of creative traits? Um, mm-hmm. You know, or, um, or in theory, is it is it open for anyone? I, I, I would say it's open for anyone. I, I'd say it's more open for people who don't resist. And, and I want to tell you the category of people who resist the least, and Faye's probably familiar with this, it's, it's young kids. If I go talk to a group of, of eight-year-olds about lucid dreaming and come back a week later, 80% of them will have had a lucid dream. They're just curious. They accept it. They don't have a bunch of judgments. Is it good? Is it bad? You know, is it safe? Is it safe? They just like, hey, that sounds kind of fun. And and within a week, eighty percent of them have done it. And and so the the problem with most of many of us is that our ego will will resist it. Uh, we'll, we'll have this fear come up. Oh, could this be dangerous? Oh, could this be bad? Oh, blah, blah, blah. and and uh, so so I, I think I think that. Having a good imagination, having a good creativity, all that kind of helps. But but for people who just are willing to accept, give it a try, what the hell? And, and, that, and that, that's what I loved about Hugh's attitude as he's walking up to the cash register. It's, it's just like, people love to give me free things. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the best ones. <laughs> and, and, you know, you're just going along with it in kind of a spirit of fun and play and, mm. uh, and all. So, yeah. so that, 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 yeah. that's the perfect approach. Mm. And I you think quite that, like to... Oh, no, go on. I was going to say, do, do you think that applies in the sense that um, for, for people trying to remember their ordinary, everyday dreams as well? Because um, there have been... For me, that um, I of, quite often struggle to remember um, what I've dreamt, but I kind of go through phases of sometimes I remember it quite a lot and and then sometimes yeah. uh, it doesn't feel like anything's you happened know, 
we all live in a culture that kind of devalues dreams. Uh, so like if you went up to your, to your friends and told them, oh, I want to tell you a dream I had, half of them would go, oh no, and roll their eyes and, and turn around. Right, yeah. <laughs> and the other half would, would be interested at least for the first few sentences and, and then they go, oh no, this is a long one. So, so as a culture, we devalue dreams and that's why uh, for a lot of us, we just get out of the habit of remembering our dreams. But as it turns out, uh, science has shown that 23% of our sleeping time is spent in the dream state. And so that, that would suggest if you're sleeping eight hours a night, by the time you're 22 years old, you'll have spent two entire years in the, in the dream world. And by the time you're 44, you'll have spent four entire years. So if you, if you went to Japan for two years, what, what would you know about Japan? You know a lot about the culture and the food and the customs and, and, and the language and all. But after, by the time you're 22, what do you know about dreaming? And the thing is, you, you really just don't know very much because we don't pay attention, the culture devalues it. And also it's one of those things that if you really want to recall your dreams, it really helps to uh, try to remember them in the first 30 seconds to a minute of waking up. Uh, if you don't do that, they'll just kind of start to evaporate and, and then you can't um, pull them back in. It's like so, this so enormous part of our lives that we're just missing out on. And it, oh, it, and it, it could be in some ways the most, um, the most interesting or useful it, to observe as well. It's extraordinary. I, I think the, the thing that I love about dreaming, uh, apart from lucid dreaming, dreaming gives me kind of a, a dashboard about how I'm, about my inner reality. I'll just put it like that. And, and so just by paying attention to my dreams, I know how my inner reality is doing. And, and so like now when I go home for Christmas and um, meet my nieces and nephews, you know, they're 15 or 16, I'll say, oh, you know, how's school? Great. How are your friends? Good. And, and th th they just give me these monosyllable answers. But then I'll ask them, oh, tell me a recent dream you've had. And then they'll give me real insight into where their head's at and what's going on in their life. And, and so, so, so if you see dreams in that way as kind of um, this kind of inner dashboard of, of life experience, uh, and occasionally they'll give you what I call preview of coming attractions. It'll give you precognitive information as there's incredible creativity and, and insights that people have had in dreams as well. So just paying attention to regular dreams can help. So, so Faye, did you have a question? Oh, no, I was just going to ask, you actually um, mentioned that just then that you might have like people talking to you in your dreams, but then often is that just not your consciousness telling you what you want to hear? Right, and that, that's a wonderful question. So, so the beautiful thing about lucid dreaming is it allows us to experiment and explore. And not only can you do scientific experiments in a lucid dream, but you can do your own personal uh, uh, dreaming experiences. So, so, so here, here's how this gets, gets to your question. Um, um, my father passed away, boy, about 20 years ago. And so about three months after he passed, I decided I was going to try to find him in a lucid dream. But as soon as I did that, all of the dream figures in the lucid dream told me not to. They go, it's not time, it's not time. And they were all in unanimous view that it, that it was the wrong time. And, and so I stopped in the lucid dream and decided that, yeah, they're probably right. It's just been three months now. Who, who knows how my dad's doing? 
and, and so so to uh, to uh, to get them, I asked the dream figures to explain every dream symbol that I pointed to in the lucid dream, and and they did an incredible job of explaining the dream symbolism. So anyway, when I woke up, I decided I'll just wait until my father comes to me. If he wants, if we wants me me to interact with him, he'll come in a dream. So it's about three years later. I see this ladder, and coming down the ladder is my father. And immediately I become lucid because I realize oh, dad's been dead for three years now. And I began to laugh because he had such a bad haircut. I thought, this guy is in the after death state and he still cannot get a good haircut. And, and then I thought, well, wait a second. Is this my father as a spiritual being or is this a projection of my mind, uh, a dream figure that I've created as a projection of my mind? And so this is how you use questions. He came, he came down, we greeted each other, and, and I said, so dad, you're from the land of the dead. When do you think mom is gonna pass away? And he said, oh, probably in two to six years. I said, of what? He, he said, uh, a heart condition. And that, that really surprised me because she'd never had any heart troubles before. And then I asked him one more question, he responded, and then he said, please be quiet because I came to tell you things and then he sat there for about, you know, five or 10 minutes telling me things that he wanted me to understand about the family. So anyway, you know, I wake up from the lucid dream, I write it all down. And then I think, well, gosh, uh, I'm gonna have to wait to see if, if this is really accurate, but because is this information he provided accurate or was this just a random comments of a projection of my mind? So it was 23 months later, almost two years exactly, and my mom goes to the hospital and almost dies of a heart condition. And then she goes back to the hospital about three years after that because she had been taking Vioxx, which the uh, drug manufacturer later realized was actually harming people's hearts and, and had, had actually killed people. So, so this is when you can begin to experiment in a lucid dream. Now, many dream figures are representations, are projected energies. But if you're in a lucid dream and you meet a deceased relative, then you should stop and no matter what your belief system is and ask them an open-ended question to tell you something you don't know. Because then sometimes when you hear back from them, that they'll give you information that actually later turns out to be accurate or is information from outside of your conscious mind and all. So, so that, that's when this becomes quite interesting because you can experiment with this. In the lucid dream state. Mm. Wow. So, considering all of your extensive experience um, of interacting with like intelligent dream figures and sort of the awareness behind the dream, um, uh, do you do you regard this intelligence as something that's internal that exists within? an individual's mind or do you see this intelligence as something external that is interacting with us or does it even matter to distinguish it like that right right now that, that that's a great question uh so, so, so just to help uh, the listeners understand um, um i taught myself how to lucid dream uh, back in uh, 1975 and about 10 years later, I was part of a lucid dreaming group where every month we had a goal to achieve. 
And one month, the goal was uh, find out what the dream figures in your lucid dream represent. And so I thought, oh, that, that'll be easy. And so I became lucid. I followed a woman into an office. Now, now I see three women in the office and this guy in a three-piece suit. And I, I walked up to the guy and I asked him, I said, excuse me, but what do you represent? And what surprised me was suddenly a voice boomed out from high above him, a partial response. And it didn't make sense. And so I, I asked a question, now what? And then it boomed out the full response of what this gentleman represented. So I had achieved my goal. And so I told myself to wake up and write this down. But in the morning, it occurred to me, where did this non-visible voice come from? You know, why didn't the dream figure respond? Why, why did I hear this booming voice that, that just came out of, out of the sky? And I started to think, is there an awareness behind the dream? Can you, in a sense, interact with your unconscious mind in the lucid dream state? Or maybe it's your inner self in the lucid dream state. And so after that, I began to, in my lucid dreams, I'd become lucid, I'd ignore the dream figures, I'd ignore the dream setting, and I would just look up and I'd shout out a question. You know, show me something important for me to see, or, or let me experience blah, blah, blah. And normally the entire lucid dream would change, and sometimes I'd be shown exactly what I'd requested, something important to see, sometimes I'd experience a concept, which is what I'd requested. And, and that's when I began to realize that all of us have an awareness behind the dream that, that in a lucid dream, you could actually interact with your unconscious mind. Um, and and so, so, so to Hugh's question, is it inside of us or outside of us? Is it, I, I would say it's actually part of you, but we're so focused on the ego the persona, the conscious self, that, that we're rare, rarely aware of this larger awareness that's part of us. And, and so it seems kind of outside of us, but actually it's part of us. And, um, and, and so, so, um, so I've spent a lot of lucid dreams interacting with this larger awareness. Sometimes uh, if I'd request something like, show me, then I'll see a scene and, and the entire lucid dream will change. Like, one time I shouted out, show me my life as if it was a painting. And suddenly hanging in the sky is this 80 foot by 30 foot painting. That, that's my life. And, and to see that in a microsecond, all this creativity has been made. It just totally blew my mind because you see how creative this larger awareness is. I, I had another case where an Australian uh, university student, she took one of my online courses and she said the reason she did was she's a physics and chemistry major. She said that she wanted to use lucid dreaming to understand what an electron experiences. So, so I asked her, now you're telling me you want to become an electron. She says, yes, in my lucid dream, I want to become an electron and experience that. And, and so, so what, what we did it took her five lucid dreams before she really had the, the true experience because she had to let go of her preconceived notions. They kept getting in the way. And in her final experience, this is what she did. I thought it was really clever because she'd learned from her previous lucid dreams where she tried 
she she first shouted out, now let me go to the subatomic realm. And she says, suddenly in her lucid dream, she's in this realm where everything is vibrating. And and then when she once she made it to the subatomic realm, then she announced, now let me become an electron. And and at that moment, she became an electron. And and she told me uh, after the experience, she said that the most incredible realization was how much joy an electron feels. So, so you imagine, you know, electrons being attracted and repulsed by millions of things just in, in every microsecond, just boom, 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 boom. And she said, it was, there was just so much joy there. That, that was the thing that truly blew her mind. So, so anyway, this, this is a way of exploring concepts. And, and you can ask yourself, well, you know, is this really just, you know, subconsciously created or does it have any validity and all that kind of stuff? But, but it's just like the story with my, uh, my deceased father. Later on, you can see whether or not it has validity and to what degree. But oftentimes you do find that it has validity and, and it's, it's a mind blower when it does. I was just wondering if you could sort of uh, give us a little bit more detail and sort of the story of how you really start to probe the sort of the nature of what the dream is and that sort of journey that you took into the nature of the dream and, and interacting with the awareness behind the dream and how, how far you were able to take that. Right. So um, the, the beautiful thing about lucid dreaming, um, again, uh, the Buddhists, those who follow the dream yoga uh, tradition, w- would say that, that it, it can ultimately take you uh, to enlightenment. And, and there's um, Sufism uses lucid dreaming as part of its uh, deep spiritual work. There's Native American traditions that use it in a very profound way. Um, I've even met Taoist in, in, in uh, lucid dream slash OBE state. And, and I didn't even know there was Taoist uh, people who are into this, but, but some of my friends who are familiar with the uh, Chinese uh, uh, religious traditions told me, oh yeah, there's secret societies uh, in Taoism uh, that, that actually explore this. And, and I said, well, I'm, I met some of those guys. But but what happened to me, just, just to put it really simple, is uh, that, so in 1975, I taught myself how to lucid dream. Uh, the great thing about back then is there wasn't really any information on lucid dreaming. And so I had to learn all the principles of lucid dreaming by myself. And so one thing I saw um, over the course of the next five and 10 years was that lucid dreaming reflected back to me my beliefs and expectations. So if I expected to fly through the wall easily, I'd fly through easily. But if I expected to have trouble, I'd hit the dream wall and bounce off of it just like it was solid. And then I, I saw that my focus and intent mattered as well. If I became lucid and... Uh, um, you know, just focused on having a sexual adventure, uh, that's where it would go. Um, all of a sudden, from around the corner, well, here would come three very attractive women, and, and off we went. And, and, and so I, I realized that, oh, it's responding also to, you know, where my head's at, you know. So, so you have to realize that I started lucid dreaming in my teenage years, and obviously I've grown through that stage. Uh, <laughs> but, but, no shame but, in it. But, but, but your intent really matters. 
And, and so then when I discovered that there was this larger awareness, uh, that's when I began to think, okay, how deep is the larger awareness? So I saw that it would respond to questions. It would respond, show creative responses. It would um, let me experience concepts. I mean, I've asked to experience concepts that are so profound that sometimes this is what I do. If I know, like, like one time I, I asked, now let me experience the energy of the universe. And suddenly the lucid dream cracked open and coming through it was this brilliant white light. And this white light was coming right into my body and the palms of my hands and my forehead. It, it, it didn't hurt. It, it was kind of a, a pleasure. It was so pleasurable that it was almost painful having the energy of the universe come into me. And finally, after a minute, I, I had to say, stop, stop, can't take it anymore. But, but nowadays, when I want to have a deep experience, I'll say, now let me have this experience, but only for one minute. And then I'll pop into the experience, and after one minute, boom, I pop right back into a lucid dream. So you can begin to see how deep this goes as you begin to uh, use this larger awareness to go with you or to use, use this larger awareness that's part of you to, to uh, expand your vision, your field of vision, your field of experience. Th then finally, uh, after 20 years, so 10 years into lucid dreaming, I found that there was a larger awareness. 20 years into lucid dreaming, I decided to go beyond lucid dreaming. And so I realized that what had been shown is that experience is a co-creation of my ego conscious self along with my larger awareness working together they're co-creating my personal experience and then i realized that if i want to get to the real reality beyond that then i have to let go of belief and expectation have to let go of self-history have to let go of all this self-ideation and then perhaps i'll make it to a real reality and, and not a reflected reality because that's just reflecting back to you. So, so I'll tell you what, when I started to do that, uh, that's when I'd fall asleep at night and the entire night would be nothing but blue light. And, and I remember the first time that happened, I woke up the next morning and I thought, what do I put in my dream journal? You know, there, there is no me, no action, no plot. There's just blue light. And, and after one of these blue light nights, I went down to the breakfast table and my wife, Wendy, was there. And, and she looked at me and she goes, she goes, Robert, what's happening to you? And I, I said, well, what do you mean? She said, last night, I think I looked at your face in the middle of the night and I've never seen somebody in so much bliss before. What's happening to you? And I said, well, I'm trying to understand the actual nature of reality and I'm having some really uh, wild experiences. And I kept going with this and you can read in my first book how this keeps going. But I didn't realize until three years uh, after that, I went to a Association for the Study of Dreams conference and they had a Buddhist guy there, Timzin Wangyo Rinpoche, who, read the, who wrote the Tibetan Yogas of Dream and Sleep. And he said the, the, uh, the ultimate goal of dream yoga is an experience of the clear light of awareness by awareness itself. And, and I sat there and I thought, oh my God, I bushwhacked my way to the 
into the dream yoga tradition, e even though I'd never studied Buddhism, I grew up out here in the middle of America, far away from any Buddhist anything. And, and I bushwhacked my way there. And, and then, then it gets even nuttier after that. But, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, that's, that's how my journey has kind of gone. First, I had to understand the reflective principles, the belief, expectation, the focus, the intent. Then I had to realize that there's more to myself. There's this larger awareness. And then I realized if I really wanted to understand the context in which all this occurs, I have to let go of all that self stuff. And, and that's when you kind of uh, have an encounter with source and, um, and all. So, so that, that, that's it in a nutshell, Hugh. Uh, thank you. I, lo I love that your your sort of casual breakfast conversation is well. I'm just trying to understand the nature of reality. It's, that's you know. <laughs> but, but you know, uh, um, you know, Faye was asking earlier about uh, dream figures and and other comments valid or anything. Uh, I, I did want to tell you a funny story because I'm I'm sure you have some pet lovers in the audience. But but uh, about uh, you know uh, probably. 10 years into lucid dreaming, 15 years into lucid dreaming, my wife and I got uh, our, our first uh, little kitten. Uh, we, we called her Penny. And, and so, so I worked out of my home. And whenever I was in my home office trying to work, this cat would jump up and it'd walk across my computer keypad, you know, screw up my report. I'd be on the phone with an important client and the cat would go, Row! and, and so, I'd, so after a while, I started throwing the cat outside of my office every morning because it would it bother me in my office. After two weeks of doing this, one night I have a dream and that cat came up to me and in a little cat voice said, would you play with me? And I thought, son of a bitch, a talking cat. This, this is incredible. And so the next morning I realized that this cat actually is smarter than, than I realized. And so when I was done with the, my morning uh, routine, I went up to the cat and I said, okay, you're smart enough to come in a dream state and tell me that you want to play. So I'm gonna teach you how to play a game called tag. And here's how it works. I touch you and tag your it, then you have to touch me. And, and that's how you play tag. And so I go, okay, tag your it. And then I went running down the stairs and around the first floor. And the cat came chasing me, just like you do in tag, and it tagged my leg, and then it totally went the opposite way, and I chased <laughs> it and tagged it. The cat and I played tag. And after that, I realized, <laughs> realized the cat was something. Then about two years later, this occurred. This cat would never allow us to pick it up. You'd try to pick it up, and it would scratch you, and you'd have to put it down. One night, it came to me in a dream, and it told me, I want to show you how I want to be held. And, and it said, put your arm out like this. So I put my arm out, uh, you know, kind of uh, horizontal with my belt. And then it jumped up and put its little haunches in my hand and its little front paws uh, up by my uh, elbow. And that's how it wanted to be held. I woke up. I stepped out into the hallway and there was the cat exactly where I had dreamt that we had had this encounter in the dream state. I put out my arm like this and it jumped up into my arm exactly like it had in the dream. I walked down to the breakfast table and my wife flipped out. She goes, how did you get it to do that? And I said, it came in a dream and told me how it wants to be held. And so that's when you begin to see that 
that not every dream, some dreams are projections of our minds, some are feelings, some are emotional stuff, just all projected out there. But in some dream stage, you're, you're actually having uh, honest encounters. And I mean, there, there's wonderful stories throughout history. You know, there's, there's guys in the Amazon, you know, making ayahuasca. How did they know to put this ingredient and this ingredient and boil this and boil that? They learned this stuff in the dream state. And, and when you read the Vedic tradition of, of the ancient people in India, that, but people ask, how did they learn that? And they said, oh, you know, they're, they're brilliant. Uh, you know, they were brilliant people and blah, blah, blah. I'll tell you, when you see in a lucid dream, something explained to you, then you just, you go, oh my God, I get it. But like there's this guy, uh, Brian Ahern, he, he wrote to our free online magazine, The Lucid Dreaming Experience. He said he'd been watching a TV show about animal migration. And, and so he went to sleep thinking, why is it that turtles go 1,500 miles to lay their eggs? You know, why would any turtle migrate that far just to lay eggs? It, it just doesn't make sense. He goes to sleep. He becomes lucid. The first thing he wonders is, why do turtles migrate so far? And so suddenly his larger awareness responded by showing him a giant map of the world. But this was when the world was all one continent. And this is what geologists talk about, you know, like 400 million years ago, the world was all just one continent. And so he sees this little uh, turtle swim across the bay and, and, you know, it swims 100 miles and lays its eggs and it comes back to where it's from. And now he watches as this continent, this Panagia, starts to break apart into the continents that we know today. He said it was like a time lapse uh, thing of hundreds of millions of years. Of, of the continents breaking apart. But now that turtle, it's swimming to the same place, but now the same place is 400 miles, it's 800 miles, it's 1,500 miles away. And he, he sat there thinking in the lucid dream, oh my God, is this what's really happened? But, but I want to tell you that, that when, you, when you read these stories of some of these uh, ancient mystics and how did they come up with all these um, incredible theories and stuff, I'm not saying that all of them learned it in a lucid dream. But, but when you see this kind of stuff happen in a lucid dream, you, you just go, oh my God, this, this is really too, too deep. So, so that, that, that's how amazing the journey can be. It can be so fun that you talk to your pets and, and, and it can be so wild that, that you get information that probably someday will be totally validated by science. I mean, we did a, an episode a while ago on Nostradamus who, yeah. uh, who, I mean, wrote a book of quatrains with with future predictions, um, and he he went into. Um, I, mean, I don't think he they, it was turned a dream state, was it? But it was a dream like state that he was in. He sort of went into a trance, didn't he? <clears throat> mm. These poetic lines came to him, and he wrote them down, uh, and they seem to have uh, they seem to have some real life relevance now when people have observed events in hindsight and gone well that seems to line up and refer to this event that he couldn't have possibly known about and so on yeah uh, i mean maybe that's just one one um one historical example of the same thing but yeah who knows? You, you know um so 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 sometimes people ask me you know well what's the value here 
And, and so I'll tell you, as you begin to interact more with your larger awareness, which of course, of course is part of you, but when you begin to interact with it more in lucid dreams, you actually begin to develop your own intuitional connections at, at a deeper level. And, and so here, here's an example of this. Uh, about uh, 15 years ago, um, I'm meditating in my chair in my living room uh, in the afternoon. And so I'm consciously awake. I get down to a deep level of meditation and I can feel the energy of my larger awareness. And, and so, uh, so I always tell people, uh, always ask an open-ended question. Don't, don't, don't make a declarative statement. Ask an open-ended question. So, so I, I reached out to my larger awareness. So I'm meditating during the day. I'm totally aware that I'm sitting in my uh, chair in the, in the living room. And, and I reach out to my larger awareness. I, I say, the larger awareness, what do you have to say to me? And I hear back, we want you to send $10,000 to your friend Paul, and they gave the whole name, back in your hometown. And I think, what? And I pop out of my meditation. I, th I thought, what? The next day, I go into meditation again, and I get down deep, and now I feel the energy of my larger awareness, plus the energy of my friend Paul, uh, his deceased mother. And so I reach out to my larger awareness again, and I say, larger awareness, what do you have to say to me? And it says, we want you to send $10,000 to your friend Paul in your hometown. And I come out of the meditation, and I'm like, oh, my God. And so, so I tell my wife, I said, if I ever have the same dream twice, I always do what I think it's trying to encourage me to do. But this has happened twice in the waking state in meditation. And my wife goes, okay. Let's write a check to Paul for a thousand. We'll just send him a ten percent of it, and just say, "Paul, we're your good friends. If you need help, we'll help you." Here's a thousand dollars. So we put that check in the mail and put it in the mail that day. Uh, four days later, my friend gets the check. He he calls me up, and and he was so emotional. I, at first, I couldn't understand him, and then he told me that what had happened was that a week earlier he'd gone to his mom's gravesite. And he told his mom's gravesite that if somebody didn't help him, he was going to kill himself. And I said, Paul, what's going on? And he said, you don't know this, but um, three months ago, my dad fell in the bathroom and broke his hip. And so they fixed him up at the hospital. But now he's at a nursing home where they say they're going to teach him how to walk. But I can just tell they're never going to teach him how to walk. And my dad will, will die in some stupid nursing home. He goes, I want $10,000 so I can build a disabled bath onto my house and have my father come live with me. And I said, Paul, you really want to do this? And he goes, I got to do it. It's killing me to see my dad in the nursing home. We sent him the $10,000. He built the thing. His dad lived with him there for six and a half years. It, it was and passed away in his early 90s. But, but again, you do these things in the lucid dream state, and they actually affect uh, how you can do things in the waking state. In, in Germany, that they use lucid dreaming a lot for physical activity, and, and because there was a psychologist there, he he noted that if he tried um, kind of dangerous winter skiing maneuvers in his lucid dream, that then he could actually do them in the waking state. And so he, he was helping professional athletes do things in lucid dreams so they could become better 
and these people would start to have better times or have better performance. Um, a, a good friend of mine, uh, Claire Johnson, she said that she began to meditate in her lucid dreams. And after about six or seven meditating in lucid dreams, suddenly in her waking state, she noticed she could go much deeper, much faster than what she had done previously. It was like by doing it in the lucid dream state, it kind of cleared out the pathway and, and made it all possible. So, so, so that, those are just some examples of, of some people might think, oh, well, this is just all about the dream world. Who cares? This stuff can really affect your waking state and, uh, and your capabilities here. Yeah, there's, there's lots of practical applications for lucid dreaming, definitely. Um, like I was looking at your latest edition of the lucid dreaming experience and there were some stories about people um, being able to overcome depression and feelings of regret within the dream, which is really amazing. Right. Yeah, this, this, therapeutic uh, application. Yeah, this, this, yeah. this last issue, uh, which is September of 2020, it's all about healing in lucid dreams. And some, some people are emotional healing, having emotional healing experiences. And some people are having physical healing. Uh, there's one article sent in by a young guy who he kept trying to heal his physical eyes in the lucid dream state. And his optical doctor couldn't believe that his numbers kept getting better on the optical test. And the young guy got the optical test data from his doctor. And you can see that the test numbers kept getting better and better. The, the, the doctor couldn't explain it. But, but the young guy in his lucid dreams was trying to heal his eyes. Wow. And, and by objective criteria, uh, what was succeeding? Um, I have a question for you uh, from my brother, Ambrose, actually. Um, so he says, in my fairly infrequent lucid dreams, I'm always amazed by the textures and visuals of the world around me. However, it seems that the consciousness behind the dream has put the mute button on and I cannot hear any sounds. When I try to call out for more sound or greater volume, it feels like my mouth is full of dough and I can't get the words out. Why is my unconscious, um, why is my unconscious silencing me? <laughs> you know, um, so, 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 so th th this is where we have to uh, r realize that um, oftentimes in the lucid dream, uh, we come face to face with our beliefs, our expectations, and also sometimes our thoughts and fears. Uh, there's some people who are really excited about the idea of a larger awareness, but the actual experience of the larger awareness scares the crap out of them. And, and, and so it's, it's kind of like a, an approach avoidance conflict. You know, you, you want to ask that pretty girl out for a date, but on the other part, you don't want to be rejected. And, and so you're kind of caught in this weird tension uh, of, a, of an approach avoidance conflict. And, and so I think that might be the case of what's, what's happening there is that sometimes when people tell me that they can't express themselves uh, in the lucid dream when they reach out to their larger awareness, it's because they've put the larger awareness on a pedestal and sometimes they're afraid of what they might learn or they're afraid of what might happen or their ego is afraid to see that there's actually much more to them because a lot of our teenage years is about building up the ego, building up the self, building up our persona about all the things we can do and how cool we are and now if we realize that oh crap the ego is like this is like 
one inch and, and the larger awareness is like 20 inches, you know, then, then it's like, it's, it's really deflating for the ego to realize that you're actually part of a much larger psychological uh, system. So, so that might be part of it. But um, anyway, uh, I, if, I, if I were you, I'd tell your brother Ambrose that, that next time he should just write it out with his fingers, you know, just in the air, write out whatever it is that he wants. Don't even worry about vocalizing it. Write it out, spell it out, create a magic marker in your hand and, and, and do it that way. It, it'll have basically the same effect. Mm. Yeah, I, I've had similar experiences where, um, like, I, I I had one very good lucid dreaming experiences a few years ago, and then I found that ever since it's been a, a sort of a bit of a decline, and that like I I really want something really cool to happen, <laughs> but then I think that expectation becomes too much in my mind, and then something a bit um, Un unremarkable will happen when I try to interact with something in the dream and then, and then it, it sort of builds up like oh I, I the last one wasn't very successful and then oh well I, and then I sort of have this you know thought in the back of my mind that the next one kind of won't be and so it gets it's like a vicious cycle right and and so that that's where you realize that you have to kind of become the master of your expectations you know, you, you can expect it either to go great or to go bad, just like you can expect that girl to accept your date or not accept your date. But you've got to master your expectations and your beliefs, and, and then you can move forward. Here's, here's the one other thing I've noticed, Hugh, that you reminded me of. Um, occasionally when I'm giving talks, someone will say, oh, I was a great lucid dreamer for five or six years. And then, but the last two years, I just haven't, I don't know what's happened. It's, it's just not, it's not the same. And I'll ask those lucid dreamers, I'll say, go back to that last lucid dream you recall, that, that last big one. Was there an element of fear in that lucid dream? Like it was so incredible, it was actually frightening to you. Or in that incredible lucid dream, did your larger awareness ask you to become more than you are and kind of challenge you to grow? And a lot of people, they go back and they look at it and they realize that they're the ones who have shut down their lucid dreaming growth because they were blown away by what happened in that lucid dream two years ago. And they still haven't been able to kind of um, resolve it in their mind. And, and so sometimes you'll see a lucid dream has actually challenged you to grow and, and you basically are refusing to grow. And as soon as you accept it or whatever then you're lucid you'll get back on the lucid dreaming path uh, much mm -hmm. more easily but but that's what happens mm -hmm. um and that was something that that uh tenzin wang Rinpoche, who wrote the tibetan yogas the dream and sleep said he, he said your greatest en enemy on the lucid dreaming path if you want to go the distance is fear you have to develop fearlessness and and that's something that i really learned early on because in our waking life and in our dream life, we like to stay in our comfort zone. We like to stay in this small area where we know everything, we feel very comfortable, but whenever we get up to a fear, then we shy back from it and we go back to the comfort zone. But if you want to grow that space, you've got to go up to the edge of fear and resolve the fear. 
then you start to grow that space. And as you resolve fear after fear after fear after fear, then all of a sudden you can go anywhere in the lucid dream state. So it's, it's really a matter of fearlessness uh, that, mm. that a person learns to develop because otherwise you stop your growth. Yeah, that's basically what happens. Uh, I just thought of something. This isn't uh, a lucid dreaming thing so much because I, I, I wasn't lucid in the dreams, but uh, it's more a question of the significance of things like recurring objects, recurring objects in dreams and um, whether they have a kind of real life application. So a few years ago, I, um, well, it was quite a few years ago now. So it, it must be, if it was something significant, I, it must be something I resolved without realizing it, but because um, it hasn't uh, recurred recently, but um, there was a an object. It was like a, um, you know, like those kind of Commedia dell'arte masks, like those kind of carnival-y type masks. Um, and it had like a hooked nose, you know, um, that kind of thing. And it was a black mask. Um, and it kept appearing at some significant point uh in like the chronology of every dream and it was often linked to the situation like some kind of ball that people were out or something but sometimes it appeared in unrelated places um and i just wonder whether because i didn't feel like i uh did anything conscious to resolve it but it disappeared whether things like that are always significant in some way or yeah, I, I think they are. I, I remember as a young child, I had a recurring dream that the invisible man was in the house. And, and at yeah. first when this happened, it was kind of cool because, oh, wow, the invisible man managed to make it to our house out of all the houses in the neighborhood. He came to our house. How cool is that? But the invisible man was invisible. So, so it was really actually kind of hard to uh, tell he was there. But as this recurring dream progressed, um, I got to the point where I started to wonder is the invisible man dangerous? And so in those dreams, I'd go get all the knives out of the, out of the drawers and I'd go hide them in the garage and whatever. And, and, and I could see how this was kind of showing the progression of my mind. Finally, in the final episode, this is what happened. Um, um, you know, sometimes how you could uh, just barely make a door open and put something on top of the door such that when someone opened the door, it would fall on them. So, so you gotta you gotta think like a ten year old kid like myself uh, back in Kansas a long time ago. So this is what I decided. I had the dream that the invisible man was in the house, and I heard some noise in one of the rooms. So I decided he was in that room. So then I went and got a can of paint, and I put it on the top of the door such that when the invisible man would come out of the door, then the paint would fall on the invisible man. And after that, creative solution. I never had that recurring dream again. And so, so Ben, I, I have to assume that this, this mask, um, you did something in the final dream of the series that either kind of unmasked the mask or uh, yeah. you, you had some insight. And, and that's why it, it's, in many respects, that energy has been resolved. Okay. I, I was just wondering, um, I, I know some people who have recurring nightmares, and I was wondering what your advice might be to those people. Right. So, so, you know, uh, psychologists, some psychologists are already using lucid dreaming to help end recurring nightmares. Um, and they're, they use lucid dreaming to help people who have uh, PTSD. And, and one of the main symptoms is recurring nightmares. 
but, but some people just have recurring nightmares uh, and they didn't have PTSD or formal PTSD. But basically what they teach them to do is they, they say, okay, tell me the nightmare. And basically the nightmare just has the same scenario. They're in a strange part of town. They're being chased by uh, whatever. And, and normally the nightmare has the same scenario. So they tell them, look, at this point, I want you to realize that it's a dream, that it's that recurring nightmare. And at this point, I want you to do something different. So you can either turn and face the nightmarish figure or just realize it's a dream and change one thing. You know, if that wall over there is green, make it red, whatever. Just change one thing or, or face the nightmarish figure. And what they find is that when people become lucidly aware just one time and change something or face the nightmarish figure, then normally the nightmares cease. Uh, it, it, and it's fun sometimes too when the people who face the nightmarish figure, they'll ask the nightmarish figure, who are you or why are you chasing me? And, and like one woman, uh, she had this recurring nightmare. Uh, she's from Holland. Uh, she's from the Netherlands. Of the, the Nazis were after her. And so she would have to hide from the Nazis. And, and, and so she's hiding from the Nazis under the bridge. And then she thinks, wait a second, this is a dream. This is that recurring nightmare I have. And so this time she screwed up her courage. She went up to the Nazi and she asked him, who are you? What do you represent? And he responded, I represent your fear of the unknown. And all of a sudden she realized, crap, I have this recurring nightmare every time I'm facing something in my life that I, I don't know how it's going to play out, you know, I, this kind of unknown. And finally, she understood why she was having that recurring nightmare. I've seen uh, people also use it to get over phobias, like fear of heights and fear of flying and fear of public speaking. They'll practice these things in the lucid dream state. And after three or four lucid dreams like that, the, the fear is gone. And uh, yeah, I've seen other lucid dreamers overcome just major psychological issues mm -hmm. um well one time i was given a talk in seattle and, and this guy came in and uh he, he told me he goes your second book totally changed my life and i go really because i i didn't think my second book i think my first book is a life changer and my second book and eh, not so much so so anyway i asked him how did it change your life and he said when I understood that in a lucid dream, I could, instead of fighting the dream figures or running away from the dream figures, I could actually talk to them and find out what they represent or what they needed. He goes, that was really a changer. Because in the, in the book I talk about, like if you meet an angry dream figure in your lucid dream, if you send it what it lacks, so if it lacks love and understanding, just send that to the angry dream figure, and all of a sudden it'll start to shrink and it'll become a little child that just wants to hug or whatever. And if you totally send it love and acceptance, then oftentimes it'll burst into light and that light energy will come back into you. So he said he began to do that every time he became lucid because he said up until that point, he had lucid dreams all the time, but he just fought the dream figures or he'd run away. And he said, it took him like two years to love every one of his angry dream figures into submission. 
And he said, when that happened, suddenly his entire relationship with his family changed. He, he said he came from this totally dysfunctional family. And he said, now they were all interested in lucid dreaming and developing themselves spiritually. He, he said it was the weirdest transformation that ever occurred. And, and so that, that's why, you know, uh, that's why I call lucid dreaming isn't about control because control is running away from or fighting. It's really about aware relating. What the hell am I relating to? Oh, you're the fear of the unknown. You're the fear of success. You're the fear of love. When you figure out what you're relating to, you, you, you suddenly go, oh my God. Or if you just from your heart begin to accept things instead of battling things, then it takes care of this inner battle that's going on in your emotional landscape. And suddenly in the outside world, things are being resolved magically. And so, so he said that that's, that's what happened to him. And he said it changed his entire life. And then his wife came up and told me that it, it had truly changed her husband just totally. And this guy had one, one funny story that I want to report. So he found himself in the drink state. He became lucidly aware. And sitting across from him was a guy with a turban on his head. And the guy with the term, turban on his head said, tell me my name. And, and he thought, I know who this is. And, and the, the dream figure kept saying, tell me my name. And finally, this guy was searching through his mind. I know this guy. I know this guy. And finally, he said, Nanak. And the dream figure smiled. And he said, yes. And now I will tell you how to grow spiritually. And so the guy said, he woke up and he Google searched Nanak. Do either of you three know who Nanak is? No. You've been hey. Nanak was the spiritual founder of the Sikh religion. And, wow. and, and the lucid dreamer, he's a guy, he's an engineer in Seattle, Washington. And I'll, I'll tell you, you just don't run into many Sikhs in, in the States. And, and especially, I don't think engineers uh, are particular. And the guy, th this guy, uh, he, he told me he was totally stunned. He said it was, it was like he met his spiritual home. And, and, and all. So, so anyway, that, that's how wild lucid dreaming can be. But the first thing, again, is working through your own beliefs, because sometimes you have limiting beliefs, learning how to flip your expectations, uh, learning to kind of change your focus and intent, connecting with that larger awareness. And if you do that, uh, then, you're, then you're halfway there. So mm. that, that's really how fantastic it can all be. Quickly, on a, on a practical level, are there some things that people can do to help them um, help them starting out? Like I imagine having a regular sleep schedule is important, um, is it, or not particularly? You, you know, uh, get, get, getting a good night's sleep is important. Uh, right. Yeah. Most, most lucid dreams uh, happen in the last stage or two of, of dreaming, uh, and okay. so it helps to have a good six hours or seven or eight hours of sleep right that's what helps having good dream recall helps and and so a lot of times just telling yourself to remember our tonight i'll remember the most important dream of the night and then if you wake up and and have that clear in your head and make a few notes before you forget it uh you'll get back in the game but, but i want to tell you way back when i started lucid dreaming 
probably the number one technique was suggestion. And it, it was just focusing on a statement before you go to sleep, like, tonight in my dreams, I'll be more critically aware. And when mm -hmm. I see something strange, I'll realize I'm dreaming. So tonight in my dreams, I'll be more critically aware. And when I see something strange, I'll realize I'm dreaming. Because that's what we often lack in our lucid, or in the dream state, is we lack critical awareness. You know, we, we might, you know, go to tea with the queen and it never occurred to us that this is unusual or anything. We just accept it and we'll make up a story to, to rationalize it. But if you, if you tell yourself to be more critically aware, uh, sometimes that can be uh, really a game changer. Uh, some people use that uh, technique that, that, I, that I developed, uh, looking at my hands and telling myself, tonight in my dreams I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. Tonight in my dreams I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. And, and, and so you might be climbing up a ladder and you'll see your hands and go, oh, my hands, this is a dream. Or you might be reaching out to open a door and see your hands and go, oh, you know, this is a dream. But what you're doing there, you're kind of creating um, a symbol or a prompt that will remind you that this is a dream. And, and then, then there's, there's just some lots, there, there's an ancient approach that some people use. Uh, imagine at the base of your throat that there's a lit candle. So we all know what candlelight looks like. And so imagine at the base of your throat, you know, about four inches below your chin there is the base of your throat. And just imagine that there's a lit candle there and that candlelight stands for the light of awareness. And so fall asleep imagining that there's a lit candle at the base of your throat. And, and I'll tell you, if you can focus on that, if you have good visualization skills and fall asleep that way, you might find that suddenly at three or four in the morning, you see a candlelight at the base of your throat and suddenly become uh, consciously aware of dreaming. But this, this is an ancient technique. It, it even predates uh, Buddhism. It, it's, it's, you know, three or 4,000 years old. So, so there's lots of techniques out there. And, uh, uh, but whatever you do, uh, oftentimes people use the one that they believe in. Uh, and if you believe in it, what the hell? If it works for you, That's what go counts. for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but, but it shows you the power of belief. If you believe in it, then it'll probably work. Mm -hmm. And so you can go for it from there. Yeah. And something that I often find is that... Um, I will go through phases where I'm thinking about being lucid and my, my interest is rekindled. And it's sometimes it's just that excitement and that interest that seems to trigger the, the lucid dreams. You, you, you're right, Hugh. One thing that I realized early on is if I got really curious about a concept or really curious about something that I'd heard some other lucid dreamer did, then probably within the week I'd have a lucid dream and and try it out or complete it. But like um, 25 years ago, someone asked me if I'd ever meditated in a lucid dream. And, and I thought, you know, I really, I've never tried that. I, I wonder what that's like. And probably within the week, I found myself walking down a trail and wondered, what the hell am I doing on this dusty trail? Oh, this is a dream. And the first thing I did was sat down and began to meditate and just had really a, a totally far out experience. So I, I'm just wondering um, what kind of things do you contemplate now and considering all your experience with lucid dreaming where are you at now in your journey and what do you what are you exploring at the minute 
Yeah. Um, th th there's always things to explore. Um, so, so basically, I, I would say that I'm kind of exploring the mysteries of awareness, if you want to put it in simple terms. So, and and then sometimes uh, when I become lucid, uh, uh, I focus on healing, uh, sending healing energy or, or or that kind of thing. And and then sometimes I become lucidly aware, and and I don't know what it is, but the but all I want to do is have fun. So you know. I just um, fly around, have fun, create things, uh, decreate things. And do that. How about you, Faye? Any final questions before we head off? Uh, no, I think I've asked everything. I just need a while to sort of absorb <laughs> everything. I think, I think it's just so um, it's just so fascinating, and it's a topic that I've never really thought about. But now that I've heard someone talk about it in such depth, I feel like I want to just look into it more and have a go and maybe try it out on my class because they're eight. Yeah, you should teach. You should start a lesson. <laughs> yeah, that's really the dreaming, so. <laughs> yeah, I'll try it out with them tomorrow. You know, there was a scientific study by Ursula Voss in uh, Germany. Uh, she she interacted with 694 school children from ages six to 19 and she found that 20% of the eight-year-olds had already had a spontaneous lucid dream. And, and, but but it, it just, and, and those, those are kids who weren't even introduced to the concept. They just reported, have you ever become aware within a dream that you were dreaming? And if so, then they had to explain it to the researchers to make sure it was a lucid dream and not something else. And 20% and of the eight-year-olds. But again, we're a culture that just ignores dreaming. Uh, it's it's truly a shame, but I, I think dreaming really allows us to connect with creativity. And if we want to solve the problems of the world, we're really going to have to connect with creativity in, in order to solve these problems and move forward. So so ho hopefully, Faye, you can inspire some of these eight-year-olds to get an early start on all of this. And so oh, I will. By the time they're 28, uh... they'll, they'll, they'll be uh, lucid Jedi. So. You should just you should just ask them what they if they've had if they remember yeah. a dream they've had recently. It's yeah. interesting because nobody yeah. uh, nobody asks each other no, anymore. No. no, but they don't really. I I will yeah. actually do that tomorrow. And plus, really they'll have no they'll have no filter, so they might tell you something yeah. really interesting. Yeah, they'll be like, oh, that's true. last night I uh, I discovered the nature of reality. You know, they might. <laughs> you don't know what the, yeah. That's so true. I, I, I did want to say that. Uh, oh yeah. If anyone wants to uh, check out our free quarterly online magazine called The Lucid Dreaming Experience, um, just go to dreaminglucid.com and you can click on the current issue and go to past issues. And if you want to subscribe, you can subscribe. It's all for free. And, and then if you want to check out my books, uh, if you want to have your mind blown, I'd recommend the first book, uh, Lucid Dreaming Gateway to the Inner Self. Uh, I think that's the one that, that Hughes wrote. Yeah. And um, it it goes into a lot of these areas really deeply so that um, people can really understand uh, how to think about lucid dreaming deeply. And then I have this other book, uh, Lucid Dreaming Plain and Simple with Carolyn McCready. Uh, I think she lives over in Oxford now. Um, and it's more about the techniques on how to become lucid, how to induce lucid dreams, how to stabilize the lucid dream so you don't immediately get so excited you pop out. Don't mm -hmm. want to do that. You want to have a long lucid dream. How to experiment in the lucid dream, and then we also have chapters on um, 
meditating in lucid dreams, healing in lucid dreams. And, and that's where you can find my technique on how to supersize a neutral belief, become the funniest person in the UK, uh, amaze all your friends. And get free stuff. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and get free stuff. Give you the Hugh uh, free ride. To, uh, uh, I can't, I can't believe that. The McCarran technique. <laughs> yeah, so I'll call that the McCarran technique. Yeah. <laughs> and, and all. But, but anyway, uh, and, and, and you, you can read more about my books and stuff at lucidadvice.com. Uh, and we can ask, um, people can ask you questions on lucidadvice.com. Is that right as well? Right. Yeah. That, I have a place where people can send in yeah. experiences, ask questions, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I, I personally highly recommend Robert's book lucid dreaming gateway to the inner self it's a really great read oh you, you know I, I hear from a lot of people who tell me they have spontaneous lucid dreams just by reading my first book wow. i mean what one guy told me that he, he was up to page 50 and already had had five spontaneous lucid dreams wow. and i thought wow you're a slow dream you're a slow reader <laughs> if you have yeah. that much time anyway whatever <laughs> So thank you for joining us this week on the Mockery Cushion. It's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. thinking if I could stop to go and close the door but I couldn't because it was just you know it was just continuous um, no one came so, in though but so you got you got you had a bladder of endless capacity though. yeah it was just going <laughs> honestly I, I'm talking it was like it was like seven or eight minutes Robert Wagner is a renowned author and speaker on lucid dreaming Summa graduate of Drake University with a degree in psychology.